Let's pray. Lord, we need help. We need you to give revelation, change our lives today. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, and we're talking about pictures of the Holy Spirit. Have you ever heard the phrase, a picture is worth what? So Acts chapter 2, you folks watching online, I hope you'll get a Bible too. You can download uh, the outline. Now, uh, just to get us off to a good start, say it in a different way. Why does God give pictures and the scriptures to us? He wants us to know who he is, and he wants us to know what he's saying. So he tells us over and over and over in the scriptures in ways that we can grasp it, and often it is in pictures. Now, I'm going to give you three pictures today of the ministry of the Holy Spirit so you can learn to trust him and be aware of what he's doing in your life. Now, turn to Acts chapter 2. You got your Bible? Hold your Bible up. Let me see your Bible. Got it? Acts chapter 2. Starting at verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now let's talk about the Holy Spirit and why the scripture uh, compares him to wind. If you look in the Greek New Testament, which is uh, what the scriptures are written in, uh, the, the word for spirit in Greek is the very same word for breath. And that's for a reason. How often do you breathe? How many like to breathe? Hold your hand up. Are most of you breathing? Half of you breathing? Breathing is nice. If you ever had asthma, if you ever had the wind knocked out of you, breathing is good because breath is life. No breath, and you're not going to be on this planet for very, very long. We need God's spirit like we need the very air that we breathe. Now, let's not take time to look at this passage because we've got a lot of them to look at. But in John chapter 3, there is a Pharisee that comes to ask questions to Jesus about the kingdom. And Jesus starts talking to him about the Holy Spirit. And this man, Nicodemus, Jesus says to him, the wind blows wherever it wishes. You can hear the sound of the wind. But you don't know where it's coming from. And the weather people think they can predict where it's going, but they really can't do it. That's what Christ said. And so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, the Spirit of God, when you gave your heart to Christ and you were born again, was working in your life. I've seen him uh, bring many people to uh, conversion to Christ. But I can't always predict it when it's going to happen. I don't always know how it's going to happen. And I don't even know 
who he's going to use to bring it to pass. God's work is unpredictable. Our job is to always love people and pray for them and give them the gospel when we get a chance. But we can't predict how open they're going to be. Like the wind, the Holy Spirit cannot be constrained. He is God and I'm not. Like the wind, we cannot predict what he's going to do. There's things we want him to do, things we're praying he'll do in our church, in our city, and our country, but it's up to him. I can't tell him when, where, or how. That's his job. And also like the wind, we cannot see God's spirit. What we can see is the effects of God's spirit at work. We can't see the effect of a powerful wind. Are you with us so far? Are you following? Now, Tuesday morning, I could not predict this happening. I got up Tuesday morning. I read the scriptures, had my cup of coffee. I went for my usual prayer drive. Uh, I didn't feel really close to Jesus that day. I was kind of tired, depleted. I was distant. I didn't feel very worthy. I'm just kind of hanging out, going through the motions. I hope you do that even when you feel like you're going through the motions. Keep doing it. But within the first five minutes of my prayer time and worship time, I had a worship CD on. The Holy Spirit decided to invade my car. And I was completely surprised. And I pulled over to the side. At first, I wasn't aware it was him. But I keep cards with me all the time. And I keep a pen with me all the time. Because if he shows me something, if he gives me a thought, if he tells me to help somebody... If he gives me a nudge or prompt, it's usually very subtle. Had I not been paying attention, it just might have went right over my head. But within 10 minutes, I felt like I had written down what he wanted me to know. And it was kind of a guideline for me for the next six months. And to me, it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful treasure. But I couldn't predict it. I wasn't worthy of it. I really wasn't even looking for it, but he knew that's what I needed at the time. And I guess he knew that I would be receptive. So we cannot predict when he'll move. We cannot predict how he will move. We can sometimes see little signs of what he's doing in other people's lives or signs of what he's doing in our life. It's really kind of hard to see what he's doing in our life because we're so critical of ourselves. I call it the iceberg a phenomenon. Iceberg, you can only see the top 6% out of the water. 94% is under the water. So when I see things happening in somebody's life, I'm going, wow, God is really moving. I just cannot see it all. Now, my job and your job as a follower of Christ, we need to keep doing what we're doing. We don't give him deadlines. We stay faithful in prayer and worship and intercession and sharing the gospel and leading people and loving people, but it's up to him. By the way, does our nation need the wind of God's spirit to move? Would that be a yes or no? Oh, yes. Stats say about 94% of American churches are stagnant or in decline. No wind, no life. No breath, no life. Does our nation need another great awakening? Would that be yes or no? And we cannot 
pull any of this stuff off. He is the only one that can do it. And I'm just crying out to him the same way God moved on the very first man. He formed him out of dust. But the man, a real man, Adam, did not come to life until what? God breathed the breath of life into him. That lost son or daughter, your preaching is not going to help them. Uh, It may push them away. Uh, Your neighbor that you're concerned about, until God moves and breathes life into them, all we can do is pray and love and wait to see what happens. Are you with me? And so we're looking for that. Now let's turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 3, and let's look at the next symbol, which is the dove. Everyone say dove. We've looked at the wind. Let's look at the dove. Now the Holy Spirit is not a dove, but what he, what people saw, they couldn't describe So starting at verse number 21. Now when all the people were baptized there in the river Jordan, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, something dynamic happened. The heaven opened. We're looking for the heavens to open over Lexington. Verse 22, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form. And it didn't say was a dove like a dove. That's the only way they could describe it. And a voice came out of heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So after Jesus came out, out of the water, when he came up from the water, the third person of the Trinity came out of the invisible realm and settled on Jesus. And the crowd, I don't know if it was a hundred, five hundred, a thousand people saw this with their eyes in a physical form. Why Steve in a physical form? My guess is this was such a history changing moment that the father wanted it clear to everyone there that this was a new day in the history of Israel and the nations of the earth. This day changed everything. And then this voice came out of the heavens, an audible voice that people heard. Notice the Trinity. Now my Mormon friends and my Jehovah's Witnesses friends say there is no such thing as a Trinity. And my uh, apostolic people who are the Jesus-only people, they say kind of the same thing. But, and they say, well, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It is not in the Bible, but it's all over the Bible. 
So here we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all in the same moment. And the voice said this. You, son, are my beloved. And you, in you, I as a father, I am well pleased. Now, I love to ask questions about these these accounts. Why did God say that? I can only guess. He only says what he needs to say. And if he said it, the son and the flesh of a man needed to hear it. And there are some other reasons why the father said it, why it's recorded. Because you need to say it to your children and to your grandchildren. If you're in youth ministry, you need to find a way to say it to the young people working under you. If you're in ministry in any way, shape, or form, there's times that you can help people tremendously heal from a father wound where they never got approval, they never got loved, they never got told that they were proud of them. Hey, if you work as a volunteer in a nursing home, there's a lot of people in their 80s and 90s that have never had one person tell them they love them all their life. Now, ladies, you need to say this to your kids and your grandkids. You need to say it to your sisters. You need to say it to people the Holy Spirit tells you to say it. It may feel uncomfortable, but I want to say, men especially, you need to say it. If you as a man do not say these three phrases to your children, it could hurt them the rest of their life. And you may be sitting right here today with a father wound because you never got it. What are they? Here's what I suggest. And men, men only, I want you to say these words out loud. Say it, men, I love you. One more time, say it like you mean it. I love you. And say, say this, I am proud of you. One more time, I am. And say this other thing. You have what it takes. Say it. You have what it takes. You're terrific. I believe in you. You're one of a kind. Now, you need to keep this in mind even when your children disappoint you. Even when your son, he's 20 years old, he gets arrested. If your daughter gets hooked on stuff she shouldn't be hooked on, you need to say, be careful what you say. Because words can lift you words can devastate people forever, especially when it comes from family. So even if your son is in jail, you can say to that boy, I want you to know, son, I will always love you. And you're terrific. You've got qualities like nobody else on the face of this earth. And God has a call on your life. And I want to help you find your calling. I'm not approving of the mistakes and choices that you've made. And you're going to have to figure that out. And you're going to have to bear the consequences because I'm not bailing you out from the choices that you made. But I want you to know I will always help you walk with God. 
And that kind of speech can help a person get through a really difficult point. And you may say, well, they already know that. No, they don't. And your 40-year-old son that's struggling in his business may need to hear it more than the 14-year-old boy. Because your belief may be all it takes to help that boy get over that hump and choose the right thing. Someone say, amen. Now, notice, notice the scripture very carefully as we're going through the theology of the Holy Spirit. When did Jesus start his ministry? The scripture is very, 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 very clear. He started his ministry. He did not do ministry until after he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number 23. And he began his ministry. This is after the baptism and the filling at about 30 years of age. Look at chapter 4. Go over to chapter 4. Underline verse number 1. Get this correct in your head. When did Jesus start his ministry? Jesus, verse 1, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. My point is this. Salvation is this front door to the kingdom of God. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is what gives you the power and strength to serve Christ and his kingdom. Do you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit? I want to be filled and refilled and constantly filled because life sucks the Spirit of God out of you. It just does. It just does. Life is hard at times. Now, let me give you some of the nuances of this picture of the Holy Spirit as a dove in Scripture. The Holy Spirit is very, 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 very powerful. He knows everything. Do not think He's weak or compliant or will do whatever you want. He is very powerful. On one hand, but on the other hand, this picture of the dove shows he's also very, very, very gentle. And we should be grateful that he is gentle. How many are grateful that the Spirit of God is gentle with you? He should have taken us out behind the barn and thrashed us for a week. That's just me. But he's gentle. And there comes a time you can cross the line with him and he will get severe with you. I mean, it's all over the scripture. And being afraid of the Holy Spirit, being showing reverence and respect to the Holy Spirit is a good thing. Because he can crush anything and anyone between his little fingers. Now, this may be the most important thing I'll say today. It seems like to me that his work is very, very subtle. It is so subtle that you will not pay attention. You will not even know he's in the room. 
You will not even know he's whispering. You will not even know he's giving you assignment if you're not paying attention. That's the reason disciples, people that are committed to walking with Jesus, start their day reading scripture. And I suggest that you read through the scriptures every single year of your life because you need to learn to think like God. You need your mind renewed. And that's the only way you can get it, by being in the scriptures. And then you are committed to a life of prayer. It's not legalism. It's just what you have to do if you want to hear the voice of the Spirit of God. And God's wonderful Spirit is sensitive. Everyone say sensitive in his dealings with us. Uh, For instance, I have a wonderful wife of 41 years. And so far, she has not traded me in, even though she's taken me back to Walmart many times and left me there. (laughs) She doesn't like it when her husband is rude. And my wife does not like it when her husband is arrogant, because I can be arrogant. And she does not really like it when her partner is a selfish jerk or uncaring and as my testimony before you since I met Sue 42 years ago my behavior has improved because my wife is sensitive in a good way in a good way the Holy Spirit is sensitive in a good way The scripture says he can't be grieved. Everyone please say that word grieved, please. Ephesians says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit who sealed you, who has blessed you, protected you, redeemed you to follow Christ until the very last day. I love the way the New Living Translation says it. Say it with me, please. Do not Bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. This is how he works with me, and it's probably how he works with you. He's still on the inside of you, no matter how you act. But his voice gets very small, and he just says, you know what? If you want to be a jerk, if you want to get on the lust train... If you want to watch TV and stuff that you don't need to watch, if you want to talk bad, if you want to put idols in your life, you just go ahead and do it. But I'm not playing for a while. And let me know when you repent. Then we can talk. He does not reward the flesh at all. What he wants to do is train us. What do you mean train us? He wants to train us to hear his voice. Well, what do you mean train us? Well, have you been trained for anything? How, how do you get trained? Well, he takes responsibility for that. He will train you and he will train you every day of your life under one condition. If you will listen to his still small voice right here and you will do what he asks you to do. Because if he's asked you to do 20 things and you still have not done them yet, he's probably not going to talk to you about the 21st because he knows you're not going to do it. 
Jim Cimbala, the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle, who has said he would come to Church of the Savior next year, which I think is really awesome. He he has said this, and you may want to write this down in your margin. There's a lot of stuff that's not on your outline. You can write it as you have time. But he said this, to be conscious of the Holy Spirit solves 90% of your problems. And I think he's right. You want to be the best teacher at the high school? Listen to the Holy Spirit. You want your company to do well? Listen to the Holy Spirit. The goal is also not to offend him. We'll turn to Exodus in just a few minutes, but right after Aaron was ordained as a high priest and his boys were going to be priests too and offer the sacrifices right after the tabernacle was built. The two oldest boys and their priestly garments, you read this passage sometime, they walked right in to the holy place and they were told these particular offerings, you have to do these things before you come in. This is how you bring it in. This is what, these are the four ingredients that go in this incense offering. This is how you do it. And those two boys on the first day of the job thought they knew better. And they walked into the presence of God, doing things their own own way. And the scripture says the presence of God consumed them in fire. And they had to be carried out by relatives, still smoking and God's spirit spoke to their daddy the high priest said don't you dare grieve don't you tear these clothes don't you act unbecomingly or I'll take your life right now you're talking about a sobering church day at church of the savior we don't want to grieve God's spirit I'd I'd rather not do anything than grieve his spirit because We insulted him. Now, talking about Church of the Savior, and I've just been thinking about worship services. In any worship service, whether it's a small group or a big group, any service should never be a production. And in all the years I've been here, it never has been. We try to do our best to serve the Lord and serve you, but we don't want to make church a production. What do you want it to be? an opportunity where people encounter him. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's all about him. And by the way, these people that lead you in worship, these people that run our technology, would you give them a round of thanks because of the way they serve? They serve him and they serve you. And we're grateful for them. When I think about church services, I think about three things. We come here to worship him. And Jesus said we worship him two ways, in spirit and in truth. Jesus met this broken woman at a well in Samaria. And they got talking about worship. And she said, well, worship is from this mountain. And Jesus said, no, actually it's in Jerusalem. The point was this. Worship is not about a place. Worship is not about a form. Worship is about him. 
And when Jesus said the Father looks for this kind of person to meet with him on Sunday through Saturday, people that worship him in spirit, which means he is the worship leader. And in truth, which means he is the spirit of truth. He is the teacher always. I'm a, I'm a teacher with a little T. He's a teacher with a big T. So we're here to always encounter and worship him. And we want to experience him. And sometimes we're with him, whether it's Monday or Sunday, that it's his presence is very subtle. Sometimes I may not even know so much he's in the room, but he's still there. I do it based on the authority of the word. It may be subtle or it may be life-changing. I can't plan that. I can't organize that. I can't make that happen. That's his business. And third, we just want to respond to his voice. Whatever he says to you today, and I believe he'll speak to every person in this room today about what you need to hear. And when he speaks, the one thing we all want to say is this, and it is, yes, Lord. Would you say that please with me? Yes, Lord. One more time. One more time with a little stronger. Yes, Lord. Now let's go to the third picture. Turn all the way to Exodus chapter 40. Exodus is the second book in the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 40. And this picture is a picture of oil. Everyone say oil. And I call it permeating oil, which means it penetrates. The ministry of God's spirit penetrates. Now, follow with me, starting at chapter 40, verse 9. Then you shall take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle, all that's in it. You shall consecrate it in all its furnishings. It shall be holy. You shall anoint the altar, burnt offering, and all its utensils, and consecrate the altar. The altar shall be most holy. You shall anoint the labor, its stand, and consecrate that. Then you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the doorway of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Verse 13, you shall put the holy garments on Aaron and anoint him and consecrate him and he may, that he may minister as a priest to me. Verse 14, then you'll bring his sons and put tunics on them and you'll anoint them as you did their father that they may be ministers as priests to me and their anointing will qualify them for perpetual priesthood throughout their generations. And let me tell you how important oil is. If you run your lawnmower for 30 minutes with no oil in it, it will be sitting in the backyard smoking like smoke signals. I have done that. It's wonderful. So you waste a $10,000 piece of equipment because you didn't buy a dollar quart of oil. Smart. The minister without oil is equally lifeless. The church without oil, the missionary without oil, the marriage without oil 
is lifeless. So the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the physical oil represents his ministry and him. In the Old Testament was like when they were commanded to take that anointing oil and put it on practically everything in the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a movable tent of worship before they built the permanent temple in Jerusalem. And I I was thinking about this. I thought, well, why would I ever use a term and not explain it? Because some of you are going, what does anointing mean? I I have no idea what you're talking about. It's a ritual act where aromatic oil is poured on a person's head or maybe his entire body that invites the presence of God in a greater and greater measure. The presence of God so Jesus can be magnified in greater and greater ways. Just as this broken woman took costly anointing oil and broke the vial and just lavished it over Jesus' feet, wept, cried, worshiped, and then wiped his feet dry with her hair as an act of worship. So the oil is a grace. You have a grace today that you didn't have yesterday. You have a power today that you didn't have last week. There's a love in your heart today that you didn't have last year, and it is stunning because it just came from the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a cutaway view of the tabernacle. Remember, the whole Bible is about Jesus. It's all one story. He is on every page. And in the tabernacle, all the different pieces of furniture all represent Jesus. For instance, this outer court right here, you have two things. You have the, you have the, the, the bronze uh, laver where the priests would come and wash their hands. See it right there? And then you have the bronze altar where the sacrifices were made. They picture the cleansing of Jesus. They picture the once and all sacrifice for Jesus. This doesn't have to be done anymore. And when the priest would walk through into the tent, it was pictured like walking into the heavenly realm. And the different implements there. You have the menorah. See it right there? That seven uh, lamps there. It's called the, the golden candle stand. Jesus is the light of the world. Then you see the table of showbread where every day 12 loaves, one loaf representing each of the 12 tribes. Jesus would sustain his people and promise to do so all of their life, every day. Fresh bread, every single day. And then you see the altar of incense where four different kinds of of ingredients were put together. And that scent was so beautiful that the women of Jerusalem never had to wear perfume. And it pictured the prayers of God's people in the book of Revelation. Your prayers are eternal. 
And they're wonderful to, to smell by the Heavenly Father that Jesus is our eternal intercessor praying for us right now. I don't know how, but that's what he's doing. And then the high priest once a year would walk through that tent on the other side and there is the Ark of the Covenant. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant is a mercy seat where two angels, two cherubim would face each other. And the blood would be placed there for the atonement for the entire nation once a year. And the picture is we only get God's mercy through the blood of our lamb, Jesus Christ. So they were told, and so you get these pictures, 18 centuries of the same pictures repeated so God's people would understand what he's saying. So here's a painting of Moses anointing his brother Aaron as the first high priest. So the objects were sacred and anointed and the priests were sacred and anointed too because of the oil and their dedication. Now the oil symbolized the presence of the Lord. Here's a young lad, 14, 15 years of age. The Lord tells Samuel, the king, that I want you to anoint as the founder of the Messianic line. His family lives in Bethlehem. Go down there and it's the house of Jesse and I'll tell you which one. And he went through all seven boys and the Holy Spirit said, no, not this one. No, not this one. And finally, exasperated, they were all gone. Samuel turned to his dad and said, do you have any more sons? Oh, there's the runt. There's the kid. He's out there keeping the sheep. Go get him. And when he showed up, David, the scripture says Samuel anointed David. And when the oil hit his head, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him from that day forward. It's not the oil. It's the spirit of God represented by the oil. We should all want to be soaked in the oil of the spirit of God. We should want to be saturated. We should want more and more and more of his life changing presence. At least I do. I want to tell him, Lord, more like Jesus. And I want to be more full every single day because I need it. I need what I don't have. And he's the only one that can get it for me. And so I'm just asking him more, Lord. More of your presence, more of your anointing. Now, the oil always also represents the miraculous healing that the church is to pray for the sick and see the sick recovered. It is not the oil we place on people's head. It's the presence of God that is invited. The scripture says, if there's any sick, let them come to the elders. Let them come to the leaders, the mature folks, and the prayer Offered in faith, anointing with oil, inviting the presence of the Holy Spirit will restore the one that is sick. And if there's sins, those sins will be forgiven. And I'm just believing that we're going to see more and more people helped, not by us, but by God's Spirit. And 
the oil. This is something I've just learned. It breaks off lies and chains and strongholds when the Holy Spirit comes. And a couple of last pictures. The oil represents the unity the Holy Spirit wants to bring in a lot of places. One is to marriage. You've been married 20 years and you don't enjoy each other. You've been married 10 years and you're no longer friends. What can you do? The oil of the Holy Spirit can break the yoke. When that man figures out because the Holy Spirit comes to him and says, your job is to love your wife. Is Christ loved the church. I want you to treat her better than anybody in the world. Will you do that? Well, yes, Lord, I never thought about that. Okay, I'll give you the oil. I'm going to change your heart today. And then he comes to the wife. And usually it's to the one person first. One person gets it. Then the other person gets it later. And then he comes to the wife and says, Honey, I'm I'm telling you to respect your husband. Stop criticizing. Stop nitpicking. Stop pointing out his falls. When he finally does something right, praise him for it. Your job is to pray for him and to respect him. If you tear him down, you end up with nothing. Build him up and you'll end up with far more than you ever dreamed about. And even children, you've got a teenage son you got a wayward daughter in her 20s, and they're just breaking your heart. What do you do about that? We need the oil to show up on their lives and their hearts. The oil like this, children, obey your parents and the Lord. For this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment. Everyone say first commandment with a promise. You know, after my conversion at age 18, my father and I, we didn't get along. He was strong-willed, and I was strong-willed, and we argued. I remember times I had my fist balled up behind my back thinking, if he says one more thing, I'm going to deck him. Well, he probably whipped me an hour and a half all over the farm. I'm glad I didn't do it. But when I found Christ, the Holy Spirit came and said this, Son, your job is to respect your dad and love him. If he asks you to do something, I want you to do it. I want you to tell your dad that you're proud of him and that you love him. I want you to forgive your dad of what he didn't do for you. I tell you what, that, that was oil that day. And the Holy Spirit dropped a new love for my 55-year-old dad. And he became, next to my wife, my biggest fan. And every time I fulfilled his wishes, the Holy Spirit would say, I told you, son, just obey me. Do what you want. I'll get your dad's heart. You, he doesn't understand, but you do. You have to be the humble one. Now, the two promises are, and the Holy Spirit pointed this out to me, Steve, I'll make sure things go well for you if you respect your father. And I will make sure things, you have opportunities that you wouldn't have had otherwise because you do it my way.
That's when the oil comes. You didn't have it yesterday, but you got it today. And that oil will break off dark lies. And the last one is, we, our churches are more divided in Lexington and in the nation than ever before. Our whole nation is divided. We can't even talk about things without getting offended and arguing. That is the work of the devil. I want you to say this verse out loud with me from Psalm 133. Say it, please. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to live together in unity. Say this, please. It is like the precious oil on the head running down upon the beard as on Aaron's beard and the oil which ran down the edges of his robe. And say this. It is like the dew of Mount Hermon coming down the mountains of Zion. You see that beautiful picture? That's the Mount Hermon mountain range in northern Israel. And then he said this. Say this with me, please. For one more time. Say it again. That when you get your heart, the Holy Spirit pours oil in your heart. And tears come to your eyes. Over the broken relationships. The Holy Spirit says, there, you got it now. That's where I'm going to release my blessing like never before because you humbled yourself and you were willing to lay down your life for somebody else. There is where I command a blessing. This is one of my buddies. Eight weeks ago today, Brother Wayne died and went home to be with the Lord. I guess we'd been friends for 15 years. During this election stuff we had last year, he and I went to lunch and we're sitting in Ramsey's. Wayne told me the most unbelievable stories of growing up as a young black man in Cincinnati. He told me the times that he was arrested by the police for no reason. He told me about the three times he was thrown in jail as a teenager for no reason. He told me about the times a cop pulled him over. He told me about the times the cops made him get out, lie down on the road, and get handcuffed for no reason. He told me about the times he was just, his family was disrespected. I couldn't believe how he was treated. And even as an executive at Lexmark, even when he was on the football team at Dartmouth, how he was pulled over and just made to lay down in the grass and cops laughed. And he said to me, Steve, I was raised in church, but I was ready in the 70s to join the Black Panthers because I hated the police. And then he said, one day, the Spirit of God came on me and the oil out of heaven poured over me. And with my surprise, I no longer hated anybody or anybody for what they'd done to me. And I had a newfound love and I was different in a moment. I tell you, that's a testimony. That's a testimony that the church needs to hear. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, worship team, come on up. And that oil of the Spirit is poured out. Everything changes.
Two weeks ago, Father's Day weekend, I'll tell you my little story. I was asked to be one of two speakers at a Father's Day prayer breakfast, pretty much a hundred African-American men. And I was asked by a friend, a black leader in our city, asked me to come and be a part of that speaking team. I was honored to go, but I thought, I'm out of my league. I don't even know if I'll be able to connect very well. I don't even know why they would ask me. But I said, I'll go out of obedience and I'll go love folk and see what happens. And somebody took a picture of me there and I got set up. Oh, I got set up. I'm telling you, I got set up. I got so set up and I didn't even know I got set up. I went there thinking I was going to minister to people. It didn't happen at all. I don't even think I did anything. I got ministered too. Someone say amen. I didn't see it coming. I had a bunch of needs. Some I knew, some I didn't know. And I got help that day. I didn't even eat any chicken. I didn't even have a pancake. And I still got helped. Because somebody knew. He set me up. He knew on that day with those men at that location, I needed to be there so the Holy Spirit could pour his oil out on me because I was the neediest one in the crowd. Oil was poured out. And I didn't, it was so subtle. It must have been a little drip and a little drip and a little drip. I didn't even notice till the next day I got up and went, I am different today. Something has happened to me. And I didn't see it coming. I didn't expect it. Something broke in me. I had some frustration. I had some anger. I had some disappointment. I had some confusion. And it broke. All of it broke. And what's crazy about it, nobody prayed for me. Nobody touched me. There was no altar call. Nobody put hands on me. But God's spirit was there. And met me at my place of need. I connected with some new friends in our city that I never would have met before. I received this healing of my heart. And I found a brand new love for this city. I thought I had a love for this city. I have one now. And one of the young men, one of the young pastors up on the uh, the platform, he and I sat beside each other. and We exchanged phone numbers. And I asked him if he'd go to breakfast with me this week. And I thought, I don't know if we got anything in common. What a fool I was. We got Jesus. And after that breakfast... We hugged because I walked away with a friend. Plus, he was a fan of the Atlanta Braves, which I knew, man, that was God's move. (laughs) Now, we're going to conclude our service. That Saturday was strange to me. I didn't see it coming. I couldn't predict it. I couldn't manage it. But it was strangely beautiful. And maybe you're here today. You need the touch of God's spirit. You're angry too. You've been disappointed by some of the things that have happened. You got fear. You're worried about that daughter. And it's just keeping you up at night. 
and you're depressed and you can't seem to shake it. You're just depressed. I want to tell you there's one thing that'll help you. That is the oil from heaven. When the Holy Spirit comes and says, I'm ready to help you. We can get all that behind us and you can start everything brand new. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, you don't have to come forward. You don't have to have someone lay hands on you. He's here. You can be watching online. And God's spirit knows what you need. So just tell him you need help. Tell him. Tell him you need his touch. You're sick and tired of being tore up on the inside. Tell him. The Holy Spirit, as your sons and daughters ask for your help, release your power. Let your oil flow to those wounds. Go deep, Lord. Deep, Lord. Deep, Lord. Do physical healings, Lord. Today, do healings in the mind, in the soul, in relationship. Release words, Lord, to people. Tell them what to do because we trust you. And if there's anyone in this room that's never given their heart to Jesus or watching online, right where you sit, say, Jesus, come into my life. Fill me to overflowing. Be my Savior and Lord because I give you my life today. Then dare this last song. Continue to do business with God. The altar is open. There's people that will pray with you on either side. But let that healing flow through you in these next moments. Take the Lord's table. Take the Lord's table as you're telling him, I want more. I'm asking you for more today. Open that top part and put the bread in your hand. And Lord, we thank you that this is your body broken for us. And as we eat that right now, Bring your healing to us in Jesus' name. And likewise, the cup. Father, thank you for forgiveness because of the blood. Release your power in us now. 
as we take your table. Obey the Lord in the next moment. Living home. 
of us and more of you. Help us to keep growing and moving forward. We give you honor today. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Slip out quietly. There's people receiving ministry. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us at Church of the Savior online today. We hope you are encouraged to pursue God and grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. 
We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect with the COS family. There's also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.